Welcome to Taft Talks, a podcast from The Modern Law Firm. In this ongoing series, Taft Talks Probate, Minneapolis private client partner Bob McLeod discusses hot topics and timely information surrounding private client litigation for trusts, wills, guardianships and conservatorships, and more. This is Bob McLeod, and welcome to another edition of Taft Talks Probate. And today we're going to talk about a Court of Appeals decision that came out today. Today is July 5th, 2023. And the case is in the matter of the estate of Matthew Joseph Tomzik, deceased. Now, in this case, there was a husband and wife, and they didn't have descendants. And they created wills that provided that husband's estate would go to wife, wife's estate would go to husband. If they were deceased with no descendants, their estate would be split one half to husband's heirs at law and one half to wife's heirs at law. But as happens with many couples, this couple got divorced. And before the husband could write a new will, he died. And therein the problem starts. Obviously, dying didn't help the husband. But what happens normally under Minnesota Statute 524.2-804, that statute generally provides that when you have a will and the couple gets divorced, the surviving uh, or the now divorced spouse is removed from the will But it's actually more difficult than that. I'll show you why it became a Supreme Court issue. 524.2-804 subdivision 2 says, Provisions of a governing instrument are given effect as if the former spouse died immediately before the dissolution or annulment. So if they get divorced... The provisions in the will are treated as if the spouse died immediately before the dissolution or annulment. Well, the problem is, in many wills, we have what's sometimes called an ultimate contingent paragraph that says, if no one is a beneficiary under the will, under all the prior prior provisions, that my estate shall be distributed uh, one half to my heirs at law and one half to my spouse's heirs at law, as if we are both deceased, died intestate, um, and unmarried. Usually something to that effect. The reason this becomes an issue is, if you look at the strict language of the statute, it says the spouse died as if immediately before the divorce. If the spouse died immediately before the divorce, then you would argue, and actually the Court of Appeals agreed, that the Uh, inheritance goes to the surviving spouse's heirs at law, in this case it would be her parents, because at the time of death under the statute, the spouse was still married to um, the decedent. In other words, under the strict language of the statute and the will, even though they were divorced, the statute says treated as if she died just before the divorce. And if she died just before the divorce, then it would seem that her heirs at law are still included in the will. And that's what this fight was about. Does that make sense? I mean, for example, 
let's say the surviving spouse remarried. Then when the first spouse dies, if this provision kicks in, the surviving spouse's new spouse would inherit her share. That seems kind of crazy, not what people really wanted. But the Court of Appeals said, well, look, we've got this language in the statute. This isn't our problem. This is a problem with the statute and the, and the way the will is written. But it went to the Supreme Court. And ultimately, the Supreme Court reversed the Court of Appeals and found that when the couple got divorced, the spouse under the statute was removed, and so were her heirs at law under the ultimate contingent paragraph. The court got to that conclusion by looking at a couple different things. One, they looked at the intention of the will. Now, the intention of the will is always paramount in interpreting a will. That, that, that's a standard point of law that we look to the testator's intent. And what was the testator's intent with this paragraph? And would the testator have intended to give the surviving spouse's heirs at law an inheritance if they were divorced? The court also looked at the nature of the description when they say one half goes to the decedent's heirs at law and one half to the decedent's spouse's heirs at law. And the language, when you say my wife's heirs at law, when you say the word my wife's, is that necessary? I mean, is that a necessary clause or is it just simply the heirs at law and it doesn't matter if she's my wife or not? just the heirs of law of that particular person. In other words, is it, is it necessary that she be his wife at the time of death for the heirs at law to inherit? Or was identifying the heirs at law the most important part and the fact that it was the wife's heirs at law is not as important the description? For example, if you say, I want to give $10,000 to my wife's niece, now, do you really need to say my wife's niece, include the word my wife's, or can you just say my niece, Jane Q. Public? There's different case law on that about whether getting divorced removes the gift to the niece. Uh, many people argue it does not, but those are not easy answers. But the quick point in this case, as far as the Supreme Court has now ruled, is that when you have an ultimate contingent paragraph that says, if there's no other errors than my errors at law and my spouse's errors at law, one half each, that if they get divorced before the decedent dies, that even though subdivision two talks about the spouse being uh, deceased just before the divorce or dissolution, it is treated as if the testator did not want the spouse's heirs to inherit, and the divorce does remove the spouse and their heirs at law from the will. This is a big deal for an awful, awful lot of wills out there. They're very often written with this type of boilerplate language, and it'll be a little bit easier to breathe a sigh of relief, but who knows? Maybe people start changing the way these paragraphs are written. But the long story short, Husband and wife get divorced. By statute, the wife is removed from the will. And in the ultimate contingent paragraph, at least with this specific language under this document, the wife's heirs at law are also removed. And the sole heirs of the estate become the uh, decedent's parents. It seems to make sense under the facts and circumstances. 
It's a curious issue regarding statutory interpretation and the facts, but at least now we have some guidance from our Supreme Court. So until next time, I'm Bob McLeod for Taft Talks Probate. Thank you for listening to Tap Talks. If you liked this episode, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with The Modern Law Firm. This podcast provides general information related to the law. Tap Talks is not providing legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed on Tap Talks belong to the individual attorneys on the program and do not necessarily reflect the firm's position. For questions and comments, please contact podcast at taftlaw.com. Additional information about Taft can be found at taftlaw.com.